in the world of freedom. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Ich bin ein Berliner. This is Radio Goethe Magazine with Arndt Peltner. News and information from the heart of Europe. Hello and welcome to Radio Goethe Magazine. I'm Arndt Peltner. In today's program we take an audio walk through Nuremberg. So stay tuned. Nuremberg is my hometown. Many over here just know the name because of the infamous Nuremberg trials. But Nuremberg is an almost thousand year old city in the north of Bavaria with a rich history. In today's program we will go back to the exciting past of this beautiful city and explore the lively present of Nuremberg. You can learn more about the origins of the sites and their myths and legends and perhaps one day you will be there yourself. We do this walk through Nuremberg with the help of a new CD which is called Nuremberg Treasures, a project which was done by the firm Young Concept in Nuremberg to help everybody, of course not only tourists, to explore the history and the myths of this town. So lean back and let's go on a stroll. We start our audio tour across from the central station of Nuremberg, called in German the Hauptbahnhof, and come to the doors of the famous Handwerkerhof, which could be translated as Craftsman's Courtyard. The Craftsman's Courtyard was founded in 1971 and reminds us of Nuremberg's reputation as the city of craftsmen. Not only tourists can be met here, but also inhabitants who enjoy the flair of the small city at the Königstor. If you are looking for a typical souvenir, you will certainly find it amongst the traditional craftsmen who do their work with body and soul. You can find leather workmanship, gold and silversmiths, gingerbread bakers and tin molders who have installed their studios in these beautifully rebuilt timbered houses. Watch what's going on behind the scenes and get an impression of the traditional handicraft of the artists. A few very small houses of medieval origin, which somehow survived the war's destruction, can still be seen in the narrow lane called Am Königstor. Originally one-floored, some of these primitively built narrow houses were eventually enlarged by the addition of upper stories, producing a picturesque jumble of higher and lower rooftops. Before we reach the Mauthalle, We'll walk along the Königstraße until we see the Church of St. Martha, right across the street. Let's have a look at the church now. More or less hiding and a bit shy, the Church of St. Martha twinkles through the house facades. We can admire a unique masterpiece of middle-age glass painting. The medieval stained glass windows are really special and so are the baroque panels bearing the names of church wardens. St. Martha's Church was endowed by Konrad Waldstromer and his wife Agnes Pfinzing in 1356 to 1363 and dedicated in 1385. Closed for 50 years following the Reformation in 1526, it was later used as a theatre and for rehearsals and performances of the Mastersingers of Nuremberg. After 1627, the church was again a house of worship. Since 1800, 
St. Martha's has been the church of the Evangelical Reformed Community. 30 years later, the sanctuary was remodeled in the spirit of Calvinism and altars and images were removed. The high altar you can now find in St. Lawrence. Damaged by numerous bombs in World War II, the church was fully restored in 1946. Before we cross the street to the church of St. Clara's, please have a look at the futuristic lounge of the only theme hotel of Nuremberg, the Hotel Drei Raben. Every room tells a different story from Nuremberg's myths and legends. We now turn left and after about three minutes we reach the Kornmarkt. That is where you can find the Germanische Nationalmuseum. To get to the entrance we walk along the road of human rights, die Straße der Menschenrechte. The road was designed by the artist Dani Karavan and consists of a gate, 27 round pillars, two floor plates and a tree. Each of the 30 elements, representing respectively one of the 30 articles of the United Nations Human Rights Convention, carries the original wording of an article, both in German and a foreign language. The road of the human rights is a denunciation of the Nazi crimes as well as a memorial to remind us of the massive and omnipresent violation of human rights in many countries. The Germanic National Museum itself is the worldwide biggest museum of German arts and culture, given its inventory of 1.2 million objects. It was built in 1852 by Hans Freiherr von und zu Aufsess with the purpose to preserve collect, research and expose the testimonials of German history, literature and art. Today the Germanic National Museum is a modern museum that evolves all over the years. A fascinating tour leads you through art and culture from the Stone Age hand aches to contemporary art and design. The architectural core of the museum complex is a late Middle Age Carthusian convent with its preserved cloisters, the chapel and the monks' homes. With the beginning of the 20th century, neo-Gothic building parts located at the Frauentormauer were added. Now we start off for the so-called White Tower, the Weiser Turm. Just follow the Dr. Kurt Schumacher road until we come to the Jakobsplatz. Has this given you appetite for more? So why don't you just stop for a minute in the historic Zirkelschmiedsviertel that leads us to the White Tower? Here we stand now in front of the oldest restaurant of Nuremberg, which is still in its original location. The Historische Bratwurstküche zum Gulden Stern serves the original Nuremberg roast sausages. A single look into these extraordinary, originally preserved rooms offers an interesting impression of life in the Middle Ages, when Albrecht Dürer, who also used to frequent this restaurant, was still alive. Franconian delicacies are still prepared using an open fireplace, which creates a very special atmosphere. A stone throw away is the White Tower. That's where I used to live when I was in Nuremberg, right in the center of the town. The White Tower was built around 1300 and is a military house integrated into the city's fortification. It is all made from sandstone that was initially decorated with a bright finery. This gives the tower its name, the White Tower. Decorated with the Nuremberg crest and the imperial eagle on its upper half, 
The bottom part is crossed by a passage gate. Have you already heard the ripple of the fountain beside you? This is the marriage carousel built by Jürgen Weber. There is a stone heart right on the ground in front of the fountain. Have you found it? The engraved poem by Hans Sachs is the basis for the symbolic fountain scenes. The quite rough depictions of the figures don't really suit the Nürnbergians, but however, it is difficult to elude from this fascinating piece of artwork. Take a thorough look at these gruesome designs and let yourself be captivated. On our way to the Lorenzkirche we can walk through the Karolinstraße, the shopping center of Nuremberg, but back to culture. A gem in the middle of the city's pedestrian zone is the Gothic Church of St. Lorenz. It's the largest and most artful religious building of the city. The construction started in 1270, but the nave and the side aisles were only finished in 1350. Due to the growing lack of space, the rich patrician families claimed private chapels, and so the side aisles were enlarged to fulfill their needs. The broad choir hall was built in 1439 by Konrad Heinzelmann. The double tower facade has a very impressive middle part, with its figure portal, the rosette and the pediment. When the sun shines through, it creates a colorful light display in the inner of the church. Inside the church, there are outstanding pieces of artwork. So, for example, the greeting engraved Lindenwood Angels, built by Veit Stoß, the stone-chiseled sacrament house made by Adam Kraft, and a wooden depiction of the archangel Michael, supposedly also engraved by Veit Stoß. A great variety of glass paintings, mainly from the 15th century, is also remarkable. Despite the Reformation starting in 1530, the interior has largely been preserved. As the Nürnbergians took on the Reformation peacefully, no iconoclasm happened, as was the case for many other churches, where paintings were taken away. The church's original and solid glass windows make the church an entire monument of art of outstanding importance. From here we walk towards the main marketplace, the Hauptmarkt. It's just five minutes away from the Lorenzkirche. Every year in December the world-famous Market takes place on this central square. The first thing you see when you come down here is the beautiful fountain, the Schöne Brunnen. To the back of the basin, a late Gothic column with a city's crest is integrated. On the slants of the roof, there's a winged dragon to the right and a devil to the left, grabbing a schoolchild. Built in 1888, according to plans by Friedrich Wanderer, the sandstone-made fountain alludes to the legend of the tall boy. A schoolboy was toying after school on the Lorenzer Platz, still with his book and tablet under the arm. He was a hothead who always cheated where he could. When his friends remarked on this and took him to task, he denied everything and protested his innocence. If this is not true, may the devil take my soul! Suddenly, a roaring in the air. The devil himself came down and grabbed the sinner. <laughs> Tablet and book fell down. 
This scene should remind us always to be honest. The special shape of the steel tip on the roof of the Lorenzkirche may have inspired people to play around with the story. When being taken away by the devil, the schoolboy is said to have lost his cap that got stuck at the lightning conductor on the roof, where it still can be seen as the Lausbubenkeple. If you turn the golden ring, you will be granted three wishes. One who turns the ring three times will be blessed with many children. This belief relates to the beautiful fountain in Nuremberg, which is over 600 years old. With its rich ornamentation, consisting of many allegoric figures and characters, the about 19 meter high Gothic fountain sculpture is one of Nuremberg's city center attractions. The bottom level of the pyramid-like stacked floors represents the seven electors and respectively three Christian, Jewish and Pagan heroes. The beautiful fountain was built between 1385 and 1396 and therefore is one of the oldest fountains of Nuremberg. It was constructed by the builder Heinrich Beheim. As the sandstone from which it was originally built proved not to be too solid, the fountain weathered deeply and it was decided to rebuild the fountain in 1897. The main building fabric used then was shell limestone. Legend has it that the fountain was initially destined to crown the top of the Frauenkirche's tower. In the end, this was allegedly rejected due to a lack of lifting devices. The ring from brass, which is seamlessly forged into the iron grid, certainly has its own fabulous myth. Master Kuhn, who was to forge the grid around the fountain, had a daughter named Margaret. She was very pretty and so she was courted by his apprentice. 
When Master Kuhn noticed this, he became very angry and shouted at the apprentice. No, my daughter deserves better. Forget about her. This will lead to nothing, just like the way you won't manage to build the rings in the grid turnable. Father, no, no, I love him, father. Angry and with a bad conscience, Master Kuhn hit the road. Also, the apprentice could not forget what he had been told by his idol. Wait and see. I will show you who is right. I will prove to you that I am the right one for your daughter. For nights and nights, he kept on forging the ring. Finally, he sliced it and inserted it into the grid. He soldered, hammered and filed until the seam was no longer visible. When the master came back home, he saw the marvel though the apprentice had left the city and was never seen again. And still today, you can see couples who were just married in the city council turning the ring. But the myth goes even further. Legend has it that the golden ring in the southwestern side of the grid is for tourists and the second one, the black iron ring in the northwestern grid, is said to be the original one. The town hall, which was built between 1616 and 1622, consists of several buildings that originate from different epochs and therefore also different architectural styles. The old town hall situated in the south is evocative of a church building due to its gothic pointed arch windows and was built in 1332. Inside, there's among other things a 40-meter-long former courtroom. To the north, Gothic-style former middle-class houses and the early Baroque Wolf building adjoin. In the Wolf building, duplicates of the imperial crown, the scepter and the orb can be seen. These count as the three most important imperial regalia. With the council's parlor and its tracery facade, One of the most beautiful and also most precious former middle-class houses has been preserved. Entering the town hall through one of its pompous portals, one can get down to the cellars. They were formerly used as dungeons. Here, one can get a scary insight into the medieval judicial procedures. Subterranean secret passages leading to the castle's abbey can also be found down here. Before we finally walk up the castle of Nuremberg, we have a look at the famous house of Albrecht Dürer. We walk up the castle street. Little advice for women, don't wear high heels when you take this tour. Before we reach the castle, we turn left and see the house where Albrecht Dürer lived from 1509 until his death 1528. Hello, my name is Agnes Dürer. I am the wife of the well-known painter Albrecht Dürer. And I am right now sitting in the chamber and taking care of the business. 
Oh, Albrecht, my dear Albrecht, why did you leave us? Please excuse me. I still think about my husband very often. He was a great artist. At the age of only 13, he painted his first self-portrait. This had been very special for the former art scene. He was a genius. Finally, we reach our last point of interest. It's the big castle of Nuremberg. We are now standing at the Ölberg, the emperor castle right in front of us. Construction work of the castle started under Conrad III around 1140 and was finished by Friedrich Barbarossa I by 1170. The imperial stalling in front of us was positioned by the citizens of the imperial city between the five-cornered tower and the neighboring tower called Luginsland, after the city council had acquired the ruin of the Burgrave Castle in 1427. It's one of the late Middle Age monumental buildings of the city, just like Mauthalle, Unschlittplatz and Weinstadl. The entrance is decorated with a crest by Adam Kraft. The tower called Luginsland was built by the imperial city of Nuremberg supposedly as a stationery for watching the goings-on in the hostile Burgrave castle. To serve this purpose, the tower has four loopholes in its corners. In order to get way up to the castle, we take the stairs and turn in front of the imperial stalling, which today houses a youth hostel. Right here, in front of the first entrance, the following mythical story happened. Eppeline von Geilingen was a captive in the hands of the Nuremberg city servants. People hated him due to his robberies, and also this time he had been convicted of burglary and was now to be punished for his crimes. Unanimously, Nuremberg's arch-enemy was sentenced to death by hanging, but also Eppeline was not denied the mercy all poor sinners are granted. He was allowed to pronounce a last wish. Well, I could not imagine anything more beautiful than riding my beloved horse for the last time. The councilmen kept on debating for a long time as they wanted to make sure that Eppeline couldn't flee on his horse. Finally, they decided to let the courtyard be surrounded by lansquenets and nobody wouldn't think of a flight anymore. The council fulfilled his wish and Eppeline was deeply moved when he caught a glimpse of his horse the next morning. He mounted his horse and started riding around the place of execution. Like a wall, the city soldiers of Nuremberg with their iron lancets were standing at three sides. Initially, Eppeline had not thought about fleeing, but there to this one side, he noticed that the wall was uncontrolled. Here, the captain hadn't positioned his soldiers because behind the wall, the castle rock fell steeply down more than a hundred meters. When Eppeline saw the wall, and behind it the wide meadows and the blue sky. He thought to himself, Hmm, life will get you anyway, and you have done many audacious rides. And so he tightened the strings, and the horse speeded up. He pushed his knees into the horse, and the horse jumped. And when he arrived at the right point, he spurred. The horse, like having read his master's mind, reared up and jumped over the wall right down into the depths of the castle foss. Down below, marshy ground stopped his flight. As if by miracle, they remained unhurt. High up from the castle walls, the men kept staring at them appallidly. But Eppeline laughed towards them and shouted, Hey, the 
wouldn't hang anybody. Rather, they got him. And soon, lancets and skewers were thrown at him. But none of the weapons reached Eppeline and he disappeared in the forest. Still today, visitors to the castle are being showed the imprint of the horse's hoofs in the sandstone castle wall that Eppeline once surmounted. Having passed the first gate, we keep to the left because there, in the castle itself, there's a place called Freyung. In earlier times, this was the place where an escaping convict, who having made it there, could no longer be prosecuted for his crimes. A roundway leads from there through the castle gate. Integrated into the structure of the gate, the vast rounded Sinwell Tower piles up. The gate is also the access to the deep fountain, which was built over several decades by convicts. Above the water surface, two dark holes led into the rock through which the fountain was chiseled. So it came to be that the castle mountain is traced with subterranean corridors. One of these corridors supposedly led to the Karlsberg. In this mountain, Emperor Karl the Great used to reside with his entourage. Throughout the following years, an imperial chapel was constructed into the castle. The imperial chapel originates from the earliest preserved construction period of the Staufers, around 1200. So it's supposed to be the most important preserved part of the castle and also one of the most impressive of this period of time. It consists of a sub-chapel for the lower aristocrats and an upper chapel for the higher-ranking royal household. The western gallery was reserved for the imperial family. On the high altar of the upper channel, a crucifix from Linden Tribut created by Veit Stoß, one of the most popular sculptures of the late Gothic, is installed. This should give you a good impression of Nuremberg, but it's only a small part. Come and see and enjoy this beautiful city, my hometown, for yourself. For more information, just visit the website nuremberg.de and if you want to get in touch with me, click on radiogoethe.org. Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, I'm Arndt Peltner. Thank you.